Amen. Amen. What a great song and what a great way to start a sermon uh, with a song like that. I want to be reading from you from Luke, uh, the book of Luke, chapter number 24. Luke 24, um, as I was um, contemplating on where to take the text this morning um, and this time, I thought we would pause our series on ministry and the famine, and uh, Lord willing, we'll pick that up next week and continue through the life of Elijah. Uh, but this Sunday, I thought being uh, Resurrection Sunday that we should stop and just consider the simple message of the resurrection, and yet, though a simple message, a profound message of the resurrection. And so I'd like to read a passage from Luke 24. Uh, we'll not read the entire chapter, uh, and I hope that you will do so at home today, maybe with your family. Uh, Luke 24 has 53 verses that outline the narrative of the resurrection, and each of these parts of this offer evidence and proof of our Lord's resurrection. And so I, I, would, I would commend this reading to you. But for this morning, our reading will be verses 1 through 11. And so we'll read that together. If you would like to join me in stand, you may do so. And uh, we'll begin in verse number 1 of Luke 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher and told these things unto the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon entitled, Idle Tales for Gospel Truth. Let's pray together this morning. Father, this morning we as a people are fearful. We admit that our fear comes. Father, this morning we as a people doubt. We as a people often question. Why? How long? When we as a people fail you, we as a songwriter would say, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Lord, we as a people are starkly aware of our own weaknesses. And yet, as fearful, doubting, questioning, failing, and sinning people, we as a people hope. We hope in the fact that you are alive. Our hope rests in the fact that the resurrection is not an idle tale, but is truth. And in that, we take courage in our fear. The resurrection silences our doubts. Oh, it has such a way of answering our questions. And I'm so thankful this morning that it covers all our sins. 
And Lord, in that hope, we stand this morning, not in our own strength, but in the strength that comes because Christ is risen. We ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word together, work in our midst this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. You can be seated there if you would. This account of the resurrection of our Lord is one of the synoptic gospels that gives us uh, a little bit of a prism shift on the resurrection story. And of course, the accounts all complement one another as we see this wonderful story unfolding. I like this chapter particularly because we get a very detailed understanding of the road to Emmaus account in the verses following what we just read. Uh, we also see the Lord appearing to the apostles and challenging them. I love this account of the resurrection. But when we consider the subject of the resurrection, the thing that I need to put in front of us as a church and those of you that are tuning in this morning, but maybe you would question whether this is really that important. Maybe the resurrection to you this morning is nothing more than a, a cultural um, marker on the calendar. That, yeah, we understand the resurrection, but it really has no implication to our daily life. And if that's you this morning, I would put to you this morning that the resurrection is the central and most essential truth of all Christian doctrine. There is no other doctrine in Scripture that holds the weight or is the hinge pin of all of Christianity. All that the church has believed hinges on this doctrine. If this truth, if this account that we read this morning is simply an idle tale, then all of Christianity falls into the dustbin of history as a lie. You see, Christian doctrine, with all of its moral instruction, was never about making bad men good men. That was never the account or the purpose of Christianity. When Christ came, the whole story of redemption was not just to make bad men good men. Now, we rejoice in the fact that Christianity has an improvement in the morality of a society. But Christianity is not about making bad men good men. It's about making dead men living men that those that were dead could find life. When we look at history, we understand that the mortality rate is that every person will die. Every man is born. And I posted yesterday on our page a quote from our missionary to Cameroon. But he made the statement in this that we're all born with a terminal diagnosis. Every person that is born from the youngest child to the oldest and feeblest saint this morning, we understand that death is marching its way to us and we do not know the day that is coming. And so then if death is a reality for every human being and somewhere in human history someone has claimed to conquer death, then maybe we ought to consider his claims. At least it would be wise to investigate them. Paul goes further to argue my point this morning when he says that if we have hope in this life only, we're of all men most miserable. Paul says if we are to look at Christianity as simply a means or a code of conduct by which to live this life, and that's all that it is, there's no resurrection, there's no afterlife, then we should push it all aside and we should eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. 
If Christianity is not true, yea, if the resurrection is not true, then do what you please and seek out what you want because ultimately nothing matters. You have a short window of time on this earth. This morning, the question that all must answer, and really all have to have to answer this question, is, is this an idle tale or gospel truth? Is this simply a fabricated story? We see the events of the text taking place here. A few women have gathered, and um, some of these women were there at the cross when our Lord was crucified, and now they're gathering and have put together some spices and some ointments, and they're taking them to the tomb to anoint the body. And when we marry the stories together, the accounts together, we find them discussing on the way. Oh, what are we going to do about the stone? How are we going to get the oils inside the tomb? And they're going back and forth on that, and they arrive to the tomb and find the tomb open. Not just open, but empty. The tomb there was where the Jesus body had been laid just three days earlier is now empty. His grave clothes are there folded. We find also that they come running back to where the apostles are. Verse number 11 is a very poignant verse when he says their words seem to them as idle tales. Now these were not the, the critics of Christ. These were the believers in Christ. This is Peter, the one who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This is John, the one who laid his head upon the bosom of our Lord and rested his head there. These are the men that heard the stories of Christ and saw the miracles of Christ. And yet when they hear the message of the women... These are just idle tales. These ladies, man, you've been up too late. You're making stuff up. It's wishful thinking. And yet Peter and John do go and investigate, and we find just a little clips of that here in verse number 12. Peter arose and ran to the step sepulcher, and he stoops down, and he looks in, and he sees the linen clothes laid, and he departed and wondering in himself what had come to pass. Still questioning still doubting, maybe somewhere in the heart of Peter there is a spark of hope. Then the road to Emmaus as these two are on their way and traveling with this news in hand and a stranger comes alongside of them. And I love this account, how the Lord, he blinds them from understanding who he is and they're walking along and they, they ask him, he said, look, they're going back and forth. He said, what are you talking about? And he goes, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Are you a stranger in this area? And he said, and, and, and Jesus' response in verse 19, he said to them, what things? Tell me, what things? And they begin to tell him how that Jesus of Nazareth died and was buried, and he said he would rise, and some certain women, also of our company, verse 22, made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher, when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said he was alive. Notice even in the wording here, they just said, well, they didn't find his body there, and they said they saw some angels, that they said the angels said he was alive. They're still not convinced this is the case. And I love in verse number 25, and Jesus says, oh, you fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And then verse 27, and beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
Can you imagine having been in that Bible study? As the Lord Jesus Christ is unpacking Moses for us. And he's walking through the law, and he's walking through the prophets, and he's walking through the Psalms. And no doubt as he's walking through all this, these men begin to have an awakening of faith inside of them. And of course, we understand that Jesus did open their eyes, and they looked at one another and said, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke with us in the way? They turned about face and run back to the apostles to declare that Jesus is alive. And Jesus then, of course, is so gracious to appear to these doubting apostles. And how gracious he is to us and all of our doubting and all of our weakness to come alongside of us. He comes into their midst in verse number 36. And Jesus, uh, and, th- and they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. <laughs> But they were terrified. You think? The man you saw crucified just three days earlier, the man whose body was literally torn to shreds, now stands in your presence and says to you, peace, be still. They were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. We'll come back to that in a minute. We see not only the appearance of Christ, but the commission of Christ. Christ gives them a commission to go into all the world and proclaim it. He said, you are witnesses, verse 48. He said, I want you to go and tell the nations, verse verse 47. And then finally we see the ascension of Christ. Christ is taken up out of their midst. When we look at this story, we see these women coming to the tomb. We see the questions of the angels. We see the doubting of the apostles. All of this is reported in thought. Is it just an idle tale? Now, I have to give some freedom or maybe some grace to these that are hearing this story. You and I read the Bible from the back, from the back of the Bible to the front of the Bible. We know the end. These people are living it in real time. I mean, consider the claim here. A lowly carpenter from a poor family in Nazareth, claims to be the only savior of the nation of Israel, but also of the world. He then allows himself, with all of his miraculous power, to be taken by his enemies, crucified, beaten, and then dies. And then his followers are claiming, three days later, he rose from the dead. He claimed that he was God in flesh. He claimed that he was the hope of the nations. He claimed that he would be the only hope for anyone to escape the judgment of God that would fall upon sinful man. And yet he, who was all of this power and all of this authority, laid down his life willingly as if he had no authority, as if he had no power, as if he had no control of the situation. And yet if they had heard his words, they would have known that was part of his plan No man taketh my life, I lay it down. It was a part of his plan. So with all of my harp this morning, I hope you do believe that this is more than just an idle tale. Your eternity depends on if you believe or not. This morning, if this is truth, we must believe it. There's no middle ground left for those who would consider the claims of Christ. It's either he is Christ or he is a fraud, and you either must believe or life is futile. 
There must be a belief, and if it is true, there must be an altering of our life. We must proclaim it. We must not fear anything in this life, for fear can be conquered by the fact that this life is not all there is. We must not worry in our trials. There is purpose in all the pain and struggle if Christ rose from the grave. As Paul would argue in 1 Corinthians 15, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our labor is not in vain if Christ is written. Now, if it's an idle tale, then I have no hope to offer you this morning. If it's just an empty story, then I would say to you as Paul did, let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But I want to say to you on the authority of Scripture that it is not an idle tale. It is a gospel truth. Christ is risen. Now, I want you to consider the claims that are being made, and over the next 10 minutes, I want you to see these claims, and I want you to hold on to them in your mind as you wrestle with this or as you promote and proclaim the gospel to others. Hold to these arguments in your mind and let them sink down deep. First off, I want you to see this resurrection was a prophesied resurrection. It was prophesied. It came before. It was not something that Jesus was making up on the fly. As a matter of fact, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 25 and 26 of our text, we see that the prophets had spoken about this. We see all the way back when Jesus is talking to them, he began at Moses and the prophets and began to proclaim unto them what he would do. Verse number 44, Jesus tells him, I fulfilled the law of Moses and in the prophets what was said concerning me. He refers to the Old Testament. This was not a made-up thing. It was a prophesied event. Yea, thousands of years before the events unfold, all of it was prophesied. I think of politicians and leaders often. We speak of knowing what others should have done, being able to anticipate what is coming and to prepare for it. And we can sit back as Monday morning quarterbacks sometimes and think, well, that politician should have done this, and that person should have done that, and, and we're may, usually making those statements after the fact. When we consider man's inability to see what's coming, don't tell me man foretold these events in detail. This was a supernatural prophecy. Not only was it prophesied thousands of years earlier, but Jesus himself, while he was here, prophesied it would happen. Jesus, the prophet on hand, stood and told his apostles, I am going to Jerusalem, I will be crucified, I will rise again, and I will meet you in Galilee. He prophesied it would happen. He told them what he would do, and yet they feared and they doubted, and even Peter himself rebuked the Lord and said, no, be it far from you, Lord. Don't go and do that. But Jesus had prophesied it would happen. Let me say just church this morning, he's told us what he's doing now too. Let's not doubt him. He is gathering a people for his name and he is doing it for his glory and all things work together for good to them who love him and are the called according to his purpose and let us not fall into the, the pitfall of the apostles of fearing and doubting what Jesus said he was going to do. He said he would come again church and he will come again. We need not doubt it this morning. We need not live in fear. We need not wring our hands because the Lord who promised he would be crucified and rise again uh, kept his word, and the Lord who promised he would come again will keep his word. And we can rest in that. 
He told them what he would do. He told them what he's doing now, and we can trust him in it. I want you to see not only was it a prophesied resurrection, it was a physical resurrection. Some would come along and say, well, I get the idea that there is an afterlife and, and that we will you know, kind of be joined back to the energy from which we came and we can spiritualize these stories and, and many uh, of the world's religions would have a hope of some kind of afterlife. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about living in some kind of pie-in-the-sky place where death really did have the victory and you get something substandard to life. That's not what he's talking about at all. As a matter of fact, he walks into their midst and he says, and they thought he was a spirit. And so what was Jesus' response? He says, why are you troubled? Why are your thoughts and your heart stirred? Verse number 39, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, he says, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. And he says, and in case you're wondering, bring me something to eat. And Jesus sat down at the table and ate with them. It was a physical resurrection. He was alive physically. He has a physical body. And friend, this morning, the hope of the resurrection is not a spiritual thing to where I sit in a cloud somewhere separated from my body and connected with the energy of the world. No, I'm talking about the fact that the people that this church has laid in a grave who knew the Lord Jesus Christ one day will physically rise again and they will walk and talk and we will see them face to face and we will know them as they were known and we will love them and rejoice in that reunion that's the physical res resurrection that he's talking about. This is not a spiritual spooky thing, but we're going to be reunited with those who have gone before us. Jesus is challenging them to see this point. Notice that he was recognized as Jesus by the men. They knew who he was. Only when he hid himself from them were they confused as to who he was. But when he stood in that presence, they knew who he was. One of my favorite accounts of this, and you know Thomas, we give Thomas a hard time, don't we? Doubting Thomas. And yet when Thomas saw him, I love the phrase, and I love the confession. Jesus stands before Thomas, and he said, Thomas, reach hither your hands and put them in the, the prints of my hand and put your hand in my side and be not faithless, but believe I love Thomas's response. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. These men recognized him as being Jesus, as being the man that he was, yea, the God-man that he is. He ate food. He walked among them. You see, this morning, Jesus was testifying that death was the one that had died. Life has now won. It was a physical resurrection this morning, you and I are anticipating a physical, bodily resurrection of those who are in Jesus Christ, that will live eternally in the presence of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who was the first fruits of the resurrection. Not only was it a physical resurrection, it was a purposeful resurrection. He tells us in verse number 46 and 47 of our text, here's the purpose of it. He said, that thus it was written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance, the turning from, remission of sin, the freedom from, 
that you and I now in Jesus Christ are not under the penalty of sin anymore. We're not under the power of sin. And one day we will not be under the presence of sin anymore. It was in his name. And let me say this morning, it is only in his name. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It was among the nations. This little phrase here is looking forward to what's going to happen in Acts, where it's not just a Jewish story, but it is a global story. That every nation and language and tribe, and when I think of that, my mind runs to the book of Revelation when there's a choir gathered of all the redeemed from every tribe and language and tongue, and all those people are gathering in one room, and we will sing together that he is worthy. And we rejoice in that this morning. There was a purpose in the resurrection. We sang the song as children, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. See, the purpose of the resurrection, the purposeful resurrection, was that you and I could be freed from our sin and know Christ as our Savior. It was a witness resurrection. These men saw it. Over 400 saw him at one time. I think the greatest evidence, or one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection, was the testimony and the martyrdom of the apostles. They were not carrying on a ruse when they laid down their life for what they were preaching. They were preaching a gospel truth. These men and women literally went on to change the world. They were empowered by something that was outside of them. It was a witness resurrection, but I'm glad to say this morning it is a shared resurrection. The Bible tells us in uh, this passage that Jesus ascended in verse number 51. And that ascension reminds us when he says to the apostles in the book of John, he said, I go to the Father. But he said, if I go to the Father, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. You see, his promise from John comes roaring back, I will come again. I will come again. You see, we need not fear death or disease this morning. His resurrection is not just his resurrection, it is our resurrection. John 11, 25 and 26, at the resurrection of Lazarus, he says to the sister of Lazarus, he said, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And Jesus ends with this invitation, believest thou this? And there's the invitation this morning, believest thou this? Think of all the efforts and the cost that we have spent and are spending to save lives. And yet those lives are saved for just a short time. I wonder if it would be worth our effort and investigation to see if these accounts were really true. That you could save your eternal soul from judgment. Too often we spend so much energy to save so little and yet we ignore the hope of the gospel. I challenge this morning, what amount of money should we spend to get the gospel to the ends of the world? What amount of effort should we spend to investigate, if you do not know Christ this morning, whether these things are true? 
So the question remains, is this an idle tale or it is a gospel truth? Jesus asked the question of his apostles, who do you say that I am? I love the invitation. I don't think I could do better. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? This morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Here on this Resurrection Sunday, understanding that you are a sinner condemned before God. And if you're not believing that this morning, you are not being honest with yourself. You're a sinner deserving God's judgment. That judgment will be poured out. But I got good news for you. Jesus has already paid the price. And if you will accept his payment, his death, his burial, and resurrection by faith alone, in grace alone, he'll save you just as you are. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll set your feet, the psalmist said, upon a rock. There will be a new song in your heart, even praise to our God. I would welcome you this morning to turn in humble faith to Jesus Christ as a sinner this morning. Believer this morning, you know Christ is your Savior. You know what is true. And I would say to you with Paul, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is absolutely nothing on this side of eternity that can take from me what truly matters and what truly lasts for eternity. Nothing. Because it's all been promised in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With those thoughts, let's pray together this morning. Father. We thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would take this message, this singing, all that we've done this morning, that, Father, you and your providence and your sovereignty would send it out to people who need to hear it. Lord, we pray, Father, this morning that it would not fall upon deaf and ears. Lord, I pray, Father, they would hear and believe. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in our midst. Lord, we so often in these days feel bound by what is going on, and yet we believe your word is not bound. And We rest in that this morning. We rest in the hope that Christ has risen indeed. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen.